Hey guys, welcome back. Today we're going to discuss why life may be worth it even when it seems like it isn't. There, there, there. So we got a question here from a listener whose job is, well, it doesn't matter what our job is, but part of our job is helping people deal with chronic pain. I mean, we're talking physical pain, not so much psychological pain, although of course there's psychological pain tied up in there. And, you know, these people have real issues, perhaps from an accident, perhaps from some genetic issue. They have real issues, and they're never going to live without this pain. It's always going to be there. So a question that comes up, that of course comes up, is what's the point of even living? If I have to deal with this pain for the rest of my life, and there's effectively nothing I can do about it, what's the point of even continuing this thing that we call life? And her response, well, part of her response so far has been this. What she says is, you don't kill yourself to honor the good in yourself. And I think that's true, but I'm not sure that goes deep enough, and I'm not sure it's specific enough. But I think she's on the right track. Let's just go a little bit deeper with it. You know, most of us don't have some chronic pain issue, but I think that there are going to be lessons here that we can all learn from. Uh, I think, which may indicate what my answer is going to be. So I think what's going on here effectively is an existential crisis. I mean, that's when you get to a point in your life. I definitely got to a point of it in my life. You don't really get into studying philosophy without some kind of existential crisis. And you ask yourself, well, what, what does it all mean? You know, what's the point of even being alive? Uh, let's say you have some perhaps uh, lucrative, somewhat prestigious career ahead of you. And what's the point of even doing that if I can't even justify being alive, right? How can I justify this career and doing this thing, gain a house and doing everything that you're, you know, quote, supposed to do? How can I justify doing that when I can't even justify being alive? So what you do is you turn to philosophy. <laughs> you guys know I studied philosophy in college, much to, uh, to the chagrin of my father. And you do get some answers if you know uh, the philosophers to, to listen to. And I got some answers. So let's just go through a few of those and then I'm going to make sense out of it. So the three philosophers that influenced me the most when I had my existential crisis that, that lasted six years from 19 to 25, uh, the three were uh, Goethe, Nietzsche, and Viktor Frankl. Not necessarily in that order, in that order chronologically, but not necessarily, that's not how I approached it. But what does Goethe say in Faust? Um, well, in Faust Part 1, what does Faust do? He, he makes a big mess out of his life. He ruins Gretchen's life, right? She kills her baby. She's in jail. And, and it's all because he did something that he knew he wasn't supposed to do. He knew he wasn't supposed to do that this thing, and he caused all these problems because of it. And that's the end of Faust 1. But there's also Faust Part, part 2. And how does Faust deal with this, with the, this, this terrible situation? How does he deal with the tragedy that he made his life into. Well, Goethe's answer is, in a sense, is you make it mean something. You connect the dots, so to, so to speak. You learn more about yourself, and by learning more about yourself, you learn more not only about your existence on this earth, but you learn more about everybody's existence on this earth. Not, there's a lot of abstract symbolism in there. Maybe I'll do a presentation on that one day. I think that may be good but too much to go into now. But that's the, essentially the point of, of Faust part two, is you make it mean something. You understand your life now more because you totally messed it up in the first part of your life. And then uh, Nietzsche, you know, Nietzsche says a lot about, 
um, this existential crisis in an indirect way. I mean, I know Goethe is not an existentialist, but there's definitely a lot of overlap there. Nietzsche is, of course, more of an existentialist. And I think his predicament of, you know, the errant horse uh, running you over, like, you know, he says you can step out on the street and some errant horse and buggy could come and run you over for no fault of your own. Um, th this is not, by the way, this is not the Turin horse when he saw, supposedly, that guy beating that horse to death in the streets when he was in Turin, Italy, maybe 11 or 12 years before Nietzsche died. And supposedly that was after that Nietzsche stopped speaking. I, I forget what his last line allegedly was, something about how he's a terrible person. So this isn't that, this isn't the Turin horse. This is another, I guess, somewhat of a thought experiment you could say is, he said, yeah, some errant horse could come out and run you over and there's nothing you could do about it. I don't think that's true, by the way. I mean, you can obviously look both ways. You know, you can be more aware. But that's kind of Nietzsche's point is, yeah, th this could happen. Let's just say it's true. Let's just say an, an errant horse and buggy could come in and take you out and kill you and it's no fault of your own. This could happen and this may seem that life is meaningless. But at the same time, if, if you can make this to mean that life is meaningless, through the same reasoning, you can make it mean that death is meaningless. So isn't it interesting that you would choose to say life is meaningless as opposed to death is meaningless? You know, what is it about you that focuses on the death rather than the life or the fact that, well, let's just die? Well, yeah, you could do that, but that would be meaningless too, in a sense. You're not getting out of the existential crisis, in a sense, by killing yourself. And, of course, Viktor Frankl, A Man's Search for Meaning, what he talks about is you have to create meaning for your life. Uh, not dissimilar from what Nietzsche says about the, the horse and buggy. I, I know we think of Nietzsche as focusing on power. Life is about getting power. Viktor Frankl says no life is about meaning. That's not really what... That is what Viktor Frankl says, but that isn't really what Nietzsche says, I would say. That part of what he says... I'm not a Nietzsche scholar, but I would gladly go toe-to-toe -to -toe in a debate with anybody about that. You have to divide Nietzsche's life up into two, two parts to really understand it. It's birth of tragedy and before and then after the birth of tragedy. But these were, uh, you know, answers that I got that really helped me deal with any kind of existential crisis I had. And the point here is essentially you got to make meaning. You got to make meaning out of your life, uh, which is kind of an answer, and we could get into specifics of, of Faust Part 2, what that means, but how I think of it, analogy time, you know, just to make it more concrete for us to understand, how I think of it is as a lens. You know, you're living your life and things seem to be going well. Now let's say you have a chronic pain issue. You were in some car accident and now you have a chronic pain issue and there's nothing you're going to do about it. Well okay, I mean, that's painful, right, by definition, but also with that pain, now you have a lens. Now you have a lens through which you can look into your psyche. You can polish the lens and you can, you know, by, by focusing on and creating connections, we'll get to it, out of the lens, you can not only polish the lens to shine light on different parts of your psyche in a more definite way, you know, different parts of your psyche that you never would have been able to see without this lens, i.e. the pain. That's very much what happens in Faust Part Two. Now you have a lens where you can be more aware, not only of your life, but like in Faust, of everybody else's life. 
and the more that you focus and the more you polish the lens and, and make it mean something the more you can also turn the lens around and see other parts of your psyche that that you were never able to see before so you know just to um, kind of say what I mean by this is uh, well you know I, I think you probably know that I started you know in graduate school I started um, my hours I started getting uh, yeah supervision by working with alcoholics and this is something that I guess you could say a successful alcoholic does very well is I mean let's just say you know we can debate all day what alcoholism is whether it's something whether it's a disease or whether you can cure it whether you can be a fully recovered alcoholic you know that that doesn't matter so much um, but let's just say you have this thing called called alcoholism which I'll just mean that um, you know your life is uh, it, it is such an, an existential pain all the time you're in such strife you're in such a stress you're in such a stressed out state all the time that it's, it's part of your reality so now when you have a drink it 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 means something to you you know it really does something to you it really makes you feel good I mean it doesn't technically make you feel good but it makes you feel so not bad because your life your reality was accepted prior to that drink as being terrible so now you have a drink and it feels really good and it feels so good I mean so not bad that you would gladly sabotage your life you would gladly in effect drink yourself to death because it feels that good ie not bad so what does the alcoholic do well part of the recovery I would say for an alcoholic is okay now you have this lens called alcoholism that, that you can use to shine light on different parts of your psyche, you know, bringing more awareness to your life than you ever would have otherwise. And how do you polish the lens? How do you get to be able to move it around? Well, part of it is you connect with other people, right? The, the, the lens work, works both ways. You, you see in other people better. You see yourself in other people. Other people can see themselves in you. And through the power of that connection, which without which we would not be humans in the first place, through the power of that connection, now you have more awareness. Now you're able to use that to, uh, you know, fight for whatever values that you do have left. Uh, and I, if you're going through an existential crisis, you may say that you don't have any values, but th there might be something there. Or even if there isn't anything there, there may be something there in the future. You know, same thing with trauma. Maybe trauma is a better example. You know, people have gone through you know, serious emotional, physical, sexual trauma, and there's nothing they can do about that, right? You only have one life, and you're not going to get another one, and the one life that you have, you have sexual trauma, you know, from when you were a child, let's say, and it's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you can use that trauma to again become more aware so in the case of trauma like you can like you have a deeper appreciation now way more of an appreciation than you ever would have had otherwise an, an appreciation of how we can affect each other how we affect each other in relationships like what it means to have a healthy relationship it doesn't just mean don't traumatize somebody but what 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 nuggets of gold can you mine that trauma for to, to inform how to connect and how to create a healthy relationship from here on out. I, I mean, because you have that lens of trauma, now you're going to be way more aware of what that takes, typically, than somebody who didn't have the kind of traumatic past that you have had. You know, same thing with depression, I think. 
when you're dealing with something like depression, effectively you just got to get to this place of acceptance where you say, there's nothing I'm going to do about this. There is nothing I'm going to do about this. It is a part of my life. Right? It's not an excuse. It's definitely not an excuse. You know, go back to what I was saying to my SSRI video. It's not an excuse to be a jerk and, and to um, not live a life uh, that isn't conducive to your to who you are as a human and you know who you are in the context of reality. Um, but now you you got to use it as a lens. You connect with people over it. You understand that there's just these problems that we that we have and and we're not going to do anything about so let's I think the, the lens analogy is really helpful and, you know I, I know there's probably people out there watching this or listening and you don't think depression is real you know it doesn't matter what you call depression maybe you call it just being a big pussy and the way through depression is to do a lot of deadlifts you know the point remains the same it effectively doesn't matter your lens would be doing more deadlifts now you get deadlifts or not how you understand deadlifts more because you understand how important it is because you used it to get out of your quote unquote uh, depression so it doesn't really matter what you call it whether it's depression whether it's being a big puss right now you have now you have a tool now you have a tool that you could you know potentially use to stab yourself in the throat of course but you can also use that tool to sharpen to, to polish the lens to to, uh, you know, make it so that the lens is easier to move around, whatever, uh, you know, grease up the joints, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess that's the lens analogy. You know, the other, other analogies we use on, on this show is uh, uh, the working out analogy and the Mount Kilimanjaro analogy. So if we're going to uh, use the working out, working out analogy, you know, this chronic pain, trauma, depression, alcoholism, whatever you want to call it, uh, it is a way for you to train your neurology up even more, to get your neurology more, more able to manage heavy loads. So, it, you know, there may be some value that eventually comes around that you may care about, and it's gonna, and you're going to be really happy that you had this chronic pain because now you're able to train up your neurology to make yourself more likely to fight for that value that you care about. Mount Kilimanjaro analogy, if that's to carry over, uh, you have this trauma, you have this chronic pain, depression, alcoholism, whatever you want to call it, there's nothing you can do about it, but now your body is more likely to produce red blood cells. So you're more able to get to the top of Kilimanjaro without passing out. Now you could say, well, there's nothing at the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Okay, well, maybe there isn't, but also maybe there is. And if there isn't anything at the top of Kilimanjaro, to go back to what Nietzsche says, that's, it doesn't make any difference. It's the same thing as saying there is definitely something at the top. It's just as meaningless either way. So why are you focusing on just staying where you are on the side of Mount Kilimanjaro without going anywhere? So I guess the main thing here is, look, this is an issue we all face. Even if you don't have chronic pain or alcoholism or trauma or depression, this is an issue we all face. I mean. How could you not ask yourself if what we do in our life, if it really matters? You know, I think we all get to a place where we ask ourselves. You know, I was just watching this documentary about Da Vinci, and you know, he died 500 years ago. And it's like, I don't know. It might just be depressive, but I just think, you know, does it even matter? I mean, yeah, we have these paintings, and they're cool to look at. I get it. Uh, they're really important. 
you could say it, but even after 500 years, does Da Vinci really matter that much? Um, I don't know. And he's a hundred times smarter than I will ever be. So you can kind of think like, man, I'm, I'm a big loser by comparison. So it's easy to talk yourself. I mean, you can do that. You can talk yourself into it. And you know, that there's a truth to it because we're all just maybe a few generations away from, from total obscurity. Um, so if you do struggle with something like chronic pain or depression or alcoholism or, or trauma, I mean, you have a lens now. You have a lens into a problem that we all face from time to time. And you facing that issue, you know, you polishing your lens, you bringing more awareness, you training up your neurology, your, your red blood cell count, you doing all that, it makes it more likely for the rest of us to do it. And again, maybe there's nothing on the top of Kilimanjaro, but... Maybe there is, and maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure it's really meant for us to say, especially when we're going through some kind of, of existential crisis. So meaning, connection, right? I mean, what, what does it actually mean to have meaning? Um, how do you polish that lens? How do you turn the lens around to different areas of your psyche, of your unconscious. I mean, that's something that we can help you with here. We have a, a way of looking at emotions. There's, a, I think, a definite structure for emotions. And what this allows us to do is to talk through our emotions to become ever more aware of what is in our unconscious. I, this is the ultimate lens polish. This is the ultimate lens axle grease, if you want to call it that. Um, so we can be the most aware that we can be because we might need it. We might need it one day. If you're interested to find out what we do or to learn more about what we do, we do free consultations, animusempire.com slash schedule. Thank you guys. And remember, if you're going through an existential crisis, the way through it is to let other people know that you go through the same thing they go through.